Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. We're in John chapter ten, so um, it's been a while, but we went all the way through John chapter nine in one shot. Okay, in John chapter nine and John chapter eight, they're all in the context of Jesus being in Jerusalem. He's still in Jerusalem. We don't have an exact time frame of when John chapter ten occurs. But it seems to be almost immediately within the same uh, sentence or the same paragraph as, as the end of John chapter 9. And we left John chapter 9 with Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees, they were very upset about this man that was blind from his birth, attributing his healing to Jesus. And this blind man who was healed, he was kicked out of the synagogue. His parents were threatened with being kicked out of the synagogue. And Jesus tells the Pharisees at the end of John chapter 9, Uh, Verse 41, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. And so it's kind of a rebuttal to the Pharisees' train of thought that they can see, they're fine. And because of that prideful arrogance, thinking that they're okay with God just how they are, Jesus said, because of that, you're blind, your sin remains. Um, Recognizing our blindness and our lostness is the first step in in coming to the Lord. So uh, to read this uh, intro here, Jesus is still in Jerusalem after the Feast of the Tabernacles. In John chapter 9, we saw him heal a blind man in dispute with the Pharisees about Moses, and he continues, okay? So we pick it up in John chapter 10 and verse 1, and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, and this is most likely, as far as I can tell, the same context. I guess there's some of his disciples around him, but the Pharisees are also within earshot of what he is saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now I have this question here, and it's obviously a big fat no, okay? Is there more than one way to eternal life? There are those that claim to follow Jesus and claim to be Bible believers, and hold to a literal interpretation of God's word, and yet, in the same breath, they'll tell you that, well, the Jewish people, or some person in Africa that's never heard, or, you know, some person way off in Asia who's never heard, uh, they have to be okay somehow. And they're basically saying, yeah, there's another way, you know, of salvation other than Jesus, other than his shed blood on the cross as the payment for their sin. And if that was true, then why in the world did Jesus come if there was ever another way for anybody to be saved? And it's interesting looking at people who believe in dual covenant theology. There are those in quote-unquote Christian circles, and I use that term 
loosely, uh, Christendom, that believe that, well, there's two covenants. There's the covenant of grace for the uh, Gentiles and for the Jewish people. Well, they're God's chosen people already. They have the covenant, you know, the Abrahamic covenant. They have the Mosaic covenant. You know, they're good to go how they are. They have a different way to God. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches, not in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. And so um, it's actually kind of the opposite. Um, not exactly the opposite, but the Jewish people are so much more ingrained in the gospel message throughout the ages and the origin of it being revealed to man is ingrained within the history of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, uh, that's why the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. Why is it to the Jew first and not to the Gentile first? Well, it's because the Jewish people, through them, Paul says, came the oracles of God. Through the Jewish people came the scripture. Through the Jewish people came the Messiah. Through the Jewish people were all these promises that built up in crescendo and climax in the coming of the Messiah. And so it is absolute nonsense to say, well, they have another way. Um, if there's anybody that would have been saved through the coming of the Messiah of Israel, it's the Jewish people. And the amazing thing is, the thing that I don't know if anybody, I go to a church where people like to shout, <laughs> you know, and he says, some of you, you know, when you get to heaven, you'll, you'll become a shouter, you know. <laughs> um, I'm from the north, so, you know, we don't really do that uh, very much. But um, there's um, some things that ought to make us feel that way on the inside anyway, <laughs> okay? And one of them is that Gentiles can be saved. Not only all of y'all in here, but I'm kind of in, the, in between, you know? And so... Um, I'm just so thankful that it's not for the Jews only, but for people that say that it's for the Jews not at all is just absurd. Uh, they haven't looked at their Bible. They haven't read what their Bible says. In fact, today I just read um, Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. When he trusts Jesus, when he gets saved, when he becomes born again in Acts chapter 10, all of the Jewish believers that were there, they were amazed. They glorified God. They were praising God. They were shouting. Because look at this Gentile that got the Holy Ghost just like we did. This is amazing. And it was kind of like an eye-opener. Wow, Gentiles can be saved too um, through the Messiah of Israel. Um, but that's an amazing mystery that is revealed to us in the scripture. But no, there is not any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now here in this building, we have like a bunch of different doors. And that little thing will you know, be like front door, back, right door, right side door. And it'll say all that. We have a bunch of different doors, but to the sheepfold, there's only one door. Now, some might look at this and say, well, okay, there's a thief and a robber. He, he, he gets in there somehow, you know, there must be some other way to get in. You can trick God, you can pay him off, you can do indulgences, you can do whatever, you know, that's not the point. If you read further on through this, the fact that a thief and a robber is there is not that he got away with it, it's that he was found out. Okay, anybody that tries to get to God any other way, their motives and their insufficient means is going to be found out. There's no way that you can get past the Lord. And that's another thing that this passage is teaching. Uh, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, this kind of continues here with what I just said. Verse 3, to him, okay, to the shepherd, the porter openeth. Now, what's a porter? Anybody know what a porter is? I had a good friend in school named Devin Porter. 
Uh, well, his mother's name was Porter. But this is not what that's speaking of. What is a porter? Anybody know? Okay, it's a door. It's a it's a it's a doorkeeper. Okay, my kids they want to stand out there and you know can we get the door for people? That's that that's a that's a porter. Okay. Yeah, that too. So Jesus says to the shepherd, the porter openeth. Okay, if there's like a little shepherd boy standing there and he's gonna you know let the sheep in or whatever. To the shepherd, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, listen to this, verse 5, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And so that person that's a thief or a robber, that tries to get to God any other way, guess what? It's not going to work. It's a futile effort. It's something that's going to be found out in the end to be insufficient. Um, and so uh, we need to understand that there is only one way. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir here, but um, this passage makes that even more abundantly clear. Um, now, interesting, this, this passage, it talks about the sheep, and it talks about them hearing the shepherd's voice. Now, I read online, and I couldn't really verify this. It was uh, supposedly from a reputable uh, source, or book, rather, that uh, there was a test done of sheep in the Middle East where a shepherd, th there was an argument. Well, he, they, they know what you look like. Your voice doesn't matter. They, they know what you look like. They'll follow somebody wearing your clothes. And they tried that, and it didn't work, okay, in this example. But somebody wearing completely different clothes or a disguise with that shepherd's voice would cause the sheep to follow. Now, the closest example that I can think of, okay, Lois and I have been trying to get our house ready to, to sell, you know, and we were doing some stuff in the backyard. I was way back by the shed trying to um, put some stuff into the shed, and I had a wrench, and, you know, I was bundled up because it was really cold. And somebody let my dog out to use the potty. And he starts barking his head off thinking that I'm like a burglar or something, you know. He doesn't know that it's me until he hears my voice. I'm like, Ari, it's me. It's okay. And then he's fine. Okay, it's a similar thing with, with the sheep. They know the shepherd's voice. Um, now, um, and then it says in verse 6, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Now, I'm thankful for passages like that in the Bible, <laughs> not only regarding his audience here, which seems to be Pharisees, um, but even his disciples. On many occasions, they were like, we don't understand this, Lord. What does this mean? And it makes me feel better when I don't really completely grasp everything to realize that the Lord, he, he works with us, he, um, he corrects us uh, gently, and he kind of woos us along to be able to understand things that are deeper in the scripture. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. Now, what I'm about to do is something that I've, I, I've wanted to teach here for a long time, and I kind of forcefully, not forcefully, worked it in, okay? This is a rabbit trail. I had a, um, a professor that called him a sanctified rabbit trail. 
I guess maybe this is a, a, a sanctified, or maybe that was an old youth pastor, my wife's old youth pastor. He used to talk about sanctified rabbit trails, I think. But anyway, we're going to talk about the porter lesson. Okay, now what is a porter? A doorkeeper. Okay. Now, I realize we're not going to be back in John until the next time that we meet. But I want to be able to take our time with John, and I really want to show you this thing that I'm about to show you. Okay, so hopefully all of my hype does not lead to like a deflated balloon. <laughs> okay. Every once in a while, we see the amazing wisdom and power of God without even looking for it. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, maybe... I'll, I'll put it this way. Maybe your pastor's preaching something or Sunday school teacher or whatever it might be. Maybe you're listening to somebody on the radio and you're looking in your Bible and there's like this aha moment that may not even be something that they were talking about, but you see some kind of connection somewhere or you follow some cross-reference and it's like, wow, that's amazing. And like this could not have been orchestrated by man to see how God works those things. Um... Sometime, maybe later, I'll have you guys send me your, your moments, okay? Things that you've experienced like that. But there's something really amazing that I want to show you that I don't think I can really talk up too much, hopefully. Um, but if you stay awake till the end, that'll be your, your reward, okay? And I purposefully left blanks for you to fill in on the last page so that nobody can look ahead and say, okay, I'm going to get to this part early. I want to see what he's talking about. Um, okay. An example of this is when seemingly, seemingly relatively ordinary verses come together to show us something that only God himself could orchestrate, okay? So, let's turn if you, if you want or you can follow on your page, Numbers 16. Now, I'm not claiming this as uh, originating with me, okay? This was shown to me in a Sunday school class when I was in college, and I've never forgotten it, and it was just... Uh, an amazing thing that that Sunday school teacher, he wanted to share with us, um, and I want to share it with you. So in Numbers 16, uh, the background here of what's been going on in the book of Numbers, this is three chapters after the 12 spies were sent to search out the land of Canaan. Okay, now out of those 12 spies, how many gave a good report? How many said, let's go in, it's okay, we can do it? Two, and those were Joshua and Caleb. And so how many gave an evil report? Ten. Okay, you didn't know you were going to be in a math class tonight. Okay. Um, so this is three chapters after that occurred. Um, for the last couple of chapters, Moses has been relaying various commands of the Lord to the people. Like, for instance, the last thing that he says in chapter 15 is talking about the fringes on your garments. Okay, have you guys seen those? Um, the talit, it's called, the prayer shawl, uh, or tzitzit is the name of the, uh, the fringes that go on there. Um, that's like the very last thing in chapter 15 before we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 16. It's kind of like this abrupt thing that starts in verse 1 of chapter 16, the rebellion of the people. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So it's telling you this group of guys that are orchestrating what we're about to read. Now, just so you know, um, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath. Okay? So Kohath was a son of Levi. And Kohath 
they had a very special part because the Levites were to do what? What was the, what was the Levites' task? The temple and the tabernacle, okay, they were the ones that would be um, ministers, okay, regarding those things. And they would have various acts of service regarding the temple service, the tabernacle service. Um, and the sons of Aaron specifically were to be the priests. Um, Kohath, uh, the Kohathites, okay, the sons of Kohath, uh, specifically were to bear the articles of the tabernacle. They were the ones that would carry the stuff. Okay, they would carry the tabernacle implements. They would carry all of the different things that made up the structure of the tabernacle itself. They would bear those things as they walked through the wilderness. That's their job. Numbers 4.15 uh, uh, for reference there. So they rose up, verse 2, before Moses, with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the sem assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. All right, so there's about to be kind of like an argument, kind of like an attempt at a coup, okay? They want to take over the leadership that God has set up. They want to, uh, they want to protest, okay, their cause. And it's not just a bunch of ragtag guys. They specifically want to get people that are like celebrities. Anything like this happen today? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> okay? So they get 250 famous men of the congregation, men of renown, men that are well-known, okay? Politicians and celebrities, maybe, I don't know, okay? And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Stop there. Okay. Now think for a second, what would you do if you were Moses or Aaron? I mean, I'd be like James and John and be like, Lord, call down fire on them now, you know? <laughs> um, even just if we weren't, you know, Moses, we'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, have some kind of an attitude with them. Um, but it's, it's uh, all the things that they said are lies, you know. Every one of us is holy, you know. We're all good. What just happened three chapters previous? They're like, we can't go in there. You know, do you send us out to get killed in the wilderness? We can't go in that land. And so now they're saying, we're all holy. We're all good. You know, we can do this, Moses. Why, why are you lifting yourself up? Look at Moses' reaction, verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Wow. Now, doesn't the scripture say that Moses was the meekest man that ever lived? Okay. And I always thought it was funny. Somebody, maybe it was Mark that brought out, you know, I wonder how Moses must have felt when God said, write that. <laughs> you know, that Moses was the meekest man. Uh, anyway. So, um, he fell on his face. He had a humble reaction but his reaction was not one of cowardice. It was not one of kind of um, acquiescing to what they were uh, demanding. It was an attitude of humility, but look at verse 5. He spake unto Korah, and this is what he says, after falling on his face before, before the Lord, and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. So Moses is saying, all right, Korah, 
This is going to be a test. We'll see who God has chosen. Verse 6. This do, take you censors, Korah. Okay, it's kind of interesting. This man's name, Korah, is mentioned a couple of different times. He's uh, at the very beginning of verse 1, the first one on the list of those that have kind of put this whole entire scenario together. Take you censors, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. He shall be set apart, is what that means. You take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Okay, so Moses turns it back on him. And he does it in a way that is not nasty. It's not insulting. But it is a strong, firm uh, announcement of this is what's going to happen. And uh, he doesn't say, okay, you're right, I'm sorry. He doesn't do that. He falls on his face, but then he tells them how it's going to be. And then in verse 9, listen to this. This is, this is great. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. Okay, these, these guys here, they're all Levites basically. And specifically, uh, a good number of them are sons of Kohath. They're the ones that bear the tabernacle furniture and implements and so on. And Moses is saying, is that not enough for you? That the God of Israel separated you to be able to do all of those things? Verse 10, and he hath brought thee near unto him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? Okay, they're trying to not only uh, usurp Moses' authority, but Aaron's as well. They're trying to say, we're good enough to be the priests. They're trying to uh, go just straight against what God has proclaimed as uh, his way of doing things. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? So M Moses just kind of lays it all out for him. Then we see in verse 12, the revolts of Dathan and Abiram. Remember that Dathan and Abiram, they were mentioned in verse 1, kind of at the tag end of that list of people that had put this whole thing together. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. So Moses tries to get their attention. Send them up here. Let's have a little talk with Dathan and Abiram. And they're like, we're not going to do it. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey? Woe! To kill us in the wilderness. This is Dathan and Abiram talking. Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey. Okay, their first reference to the land that floweth with milk and honey is Egypt. They're saying, you brought us out of a land that flowed with milk and honey. They were slaves. They were beaten to death. Anyway, moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Okay, so they're digging in their heels against the Lord. Now, they have a temper tantrum. 
the children of Israel and the ten spies with the evil report refused to go into the land. It was not Moses' fault. You see, this whole thing is just twisted around. Seems kind of a lot like, you know, what goes on in our country today and other countries. Um, I was reading uh, yesterday about how ironic it is that the Jewish people historically have been both, let's see, how does, how does it work? Uh, regarding things like communism and all, wh whatever else you can think of, the Jewish people have been like accredited with that and then blamed for it. It's just a huge mess, you know? Um, Israel is constantly being blamed for things that they're not at fault for. And here we find these, these men, Dathan and Abiram, they're kind of blaming, and, and the rest of the crowd, they're blaming Moses and Aaron for things that they themselves are at fault for. It's just, it's, it's kind of infuriating. Which kind of leads us to our next verse. And Moses was very wroth. Okay, these guys, they're like, we're not getting out of our tents. We're staying here. We're not even going to come and see Moses. Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer, put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them and laid incense thereon and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Okay, stop there. So, Moses finally gets everybody all gathered together. Okay, Aaron and all the sons of Korah and everybody in this rebellion, uh, 250 censers, okay, of, of, of incense, okay, that they would use to bear the incense into the tabernacle uh, from off the altar and bring it before the Lord, okay. Um, now, I'm going to tell you right now that this lesson is probably going to be shorter than normal, okay, which everybody's going to cry about that, <laughs> right? Okay, but with the way that this is going, I had no idea how long it would take, so it'll be a little bit shorter than normal, I believe. Yeah, sure. I can't say specifically why, but regarding the tabernacle and the temple, the way that the incense was used, it was basically to continually burn as an, as an offering uh, unto the Lord, a sweet-smelling savor. We have the recipe of the incense, I believe. Well, it's in the Torah. I'm trying to think of what book it's in. Um, but they talked about that in, in, in Israel as well, um, that because of that, all Jerusalem smelled like that incense. Um, Actually, is somebody, is somebody back there in the sound booth, volunteer? Okay, can you get something for me out of my office? Can you get the little incense thing? It's on my shelf. 
So I actually have, there's like 11 different spices and herbs. It's like a KFC, I guess, in this, uh, in this little vial um, that were used in the temple incense, which would have been what they would have here, except it's forbidden to like make the whole thing. So the thing that I have only has like nine of them in it. We got it from Israel. Um, but anyway, yeah, you can, uh, you can start it there. Let him borrow it. And you guys can just smell it, pass it around. Um, so that incense would be used um, not only as a continual offering, but specifically on the Day of Atonement. They would take that incense, that smoke off that um, censer, which was basically like a, um, like a metal plate that had chains on it to be able to hold it. Um, they would take that into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement so that the Shekinah glory of the Lord would be, you know, kind of um, shadowed in the smoke, so to speak. Um, so why specifically Moses asks for this as the test, I'm not sure exactly why, other than the fact that this was used by the priests, the sons of Aaron. And so he's saying if you, if, if you want to be uh, in the place of Aaron and his sons, why don't you pick up a, an, a, an incense censer uh, and we'll see what happens. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, take a, take a whiff of that if it still has a fragrance to it. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like potpourri, kind of like what my house would smell like at Christmas as a kid or something. But, um, interesting. I didn't even think of that until now. Um, okay, so... They're all there, and I, I want you to picture this, okay? Picture, picture the tabernacle there in the wilderness, okay? And the wilderness is not like I would think of wilderness as a kid. I would think of like Alaska, you know, the tundra as wilderness. Uh, this is the desert. Um, and so picture this scene in front of the tabernacle, and there's like 250 people that aren't supposed to be there, basically. And Moses and Aaron, and there's this big standoff, okay? And the glory of the Lord appears, Unto all the congregation. Verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, you see, okay, so amazing, isn't it, that Moses and Aaron, and, and, and Moses just previously was, was angry at, you know, Dathan and Abiram for not showing up, you know, and, um, but here, you see in verse number 20, 22, um, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and kind of pleaded for mercy upon these people, you know, isn't that amazing that in the midst of all this and what has been said and what has been done, the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 23, saying, speak unto the congregation, okay, tell everybody that's standing around, saying, get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Tabernacle is basically tent. Get away from their tent. Tell everybody to get away from there. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And you just can imagine like this hectic scene of all these people running around, uh, the elders of Israel following Moses. And he spake unto the congregation, 
saying, depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men. Now, I underlined that, the tents of these wicked men. Uh, I want you to remember that phrase. And I'm just going to give you a disclaimer now, okay? I don't know if I've ever teared up during Bible study, but I'm probably going to tonight. I don't think I can make it, okay? Um, with what I'm about to show you, because as I was preparing it, I couldn't go through it without breaking down. Um, but remember that phrase, okay? Tents of these wicked men. And touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So get away from these tents of these wicked men. Verse 27. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. You can just imagine, like, what is all this, you know, hubbub going on? You know, all this noise. And they come out in the tent's door to see, and they, something crazy is going on. Something crazy is about to happen. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have done none of them of my own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. So Moses is boldly saying something's going to happen if, this is, if, if the Lord has really chosen me. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, kind of like as he was finishing speaking, basically, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. Okay, so a lot of people died. Okay. Um, they and all that appertained unto them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And so it's not just like this thing where, boop, boop, it's done. I mean, this was a, a, a hectic, traumatizing scene. These people were screaming, and everybody else was running from the scene, screaming because they heard everybody else screaming, you know? That's a crazy event to have to witness. And there came out a fire from the Lord. This is, this is amazing here, too. There came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Okay, so God is showing who's his real chosen uh, priests at this time. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hallowed, okay, made holy. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eliezer, the priest, took the brazen censers, wherewith they were uh, burnt, had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. So the altar, uh, just outside of the tabernacle there, was then covered with these broad plates that were basically beaten probably from these melting, you know, molten censers that were um, burnt 
along with these 250 men to kind of help the children of Israel remember. See what happens, you know, uh, when you defy what God has said and try and usurp the authority of the one that uh, he set up to lead you. And uh, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and his company, as the Lord said unto him by the hand of Moses. Okay, stop there, don't turn the page. Okay? Now, um, when we read a story like this, and I don't want to raise the hands, but, I mean, passages like this where it's a chapter in the midst of a number of different things going on, sometimes we don't pay as much attention as we could or as we should, or if it's a longer chapter and we're doing like the through the Bible in a year thing and we're reading through Numbers 16, we're just kind of, you know, going through the verses and then we finish it and we're like, okay, I'm done. But there's so much more to it, specifically regarding not only um, what happens here and the ramifications that are taught about the priesthood and how it was a very special, very holy, very sanctified thing, but the characters that are involved. There's some things that occur throughout the rest of scripture um, that we would miss if we simply just read this as something to get done with and go through and then be done. All right, flip your page over. Okay, the rest of the story. Okay. Turn to Numbers chapter 26. Numbers chapter 26, just over probably a couple of pages from where you are in number 16. And like I said, I wanted to have some fill in the blanks because I didn't want, I didn't want to uh, end up giving away uh, some things before they, before they happen, okay? Numbers 26 In verse 9. And this is another passage that you would have probably just glazed over if you're like me. And the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, and Dathan, and Abiram. This is that Dathan and Abiram, which were famous in the congregation, who strove against Moses and against Aaron in the company, of Korah when they strove against the Lord. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up together with Korah when that company died. And what time the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Look at this, verse 11. Notwithstanding, the children of Korah died not. Yeah. And so... Just this very, very short, tiny little verse nestled in the midst of a list of people is this little nugget that, guess what? All the men of Korah and all that appertained to his company, Dathan and Abiram and their wives and kids died. But the children of Korah, the sons of Korah specifically, they lived, okay? They lived to fight another day or lived to serve another day. Okay. First Chronicles, turn over to First Chronicles, yeah, 
Yeah. And we're going to see some really amazing things. So, so don't share too many footnotes if you have some, something amazing, okay? All right, so 1 Chronicles 26. 1 Chronicles 26. This is basically my whole time with John chapter 10. 1 Chronicles 26, <laughs> verse 1, okay? I worked it in. Okay, remember, this is the Porter lesson, right? 1 Chronicles 26, verse 1. Concerning the divisions of the porters. Now, what's a porter? Okay, a doorkeeper. Concerning the divisions of the porters, of the Korhites, with Meshlemiah, the son of Korah. Okay, their Korah is spelled a little bit differently, but it's the same, same word, okay? Of the sons of Asaph, and the sons of Meshlemiah were, and so on. But this basically tells you that the Korites, okay, the sons of Korah, the ones that died not, they became porters, okay? Do you remember that the, 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 um, the Korites, okay, they were descendants of Levi. They were to serve in the tabernacle and in the temple. And First Chronicles chapter 26, verse 1 here, tells us that they became specifically porters. Okay? The division of those that uh, had the job of doorkeeper. Okay? Watching the door, watching the entrance, letting people in, letting people out. All right. Are you ready for um, the punchline? Okay? When I, have, when I have messages or sermons, I like... I like to have a message with a punchline. And that sounds kind of silly, but I don't know. I like to drive it home in some way, shape, or form. And so, believe it or not, we're probably going to finish around 8 o'clock uh, here tonight. Now, if we want to stay and, and party and have a whole bunch of refreshments and questions and discussion, we could do that. Okay. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Don't read it until I tell you to read it, okay? Psalm 84. Now, how many of you have a Bible that has psalm titles listed? Most of them will. Some of them will not. Okay? Is this something that I'm going to answer, maybe? Okay. Oh, you do. Okay. Yep. So, so... What's interesting is, and I'm giving you the answer here for your fill-in-the-blank, psalm titles are inspired. Psalm titles are inspired. They're not added by the editor. They weren't put in afterwards by the Masorites. Okay? Um, these are in the Hebrew, verse 1. Okay? These psalm titles are, are verse 1 in the Hebrew. And so every single psalm that has a psalm title, the verse numbering will be different in the English than it is in Hebrew because verse 1 is da-da-da-da-da, Psalm of David, or whatever, okay? Anyway. Um, now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hebrew. This is something that, that Ken knows and others that have been in our Hebrew class, perhaps. Um, that Hebrew letter right there, okay, right underneath the word psalm, uh, 
is the Hebrew letter Lamed. Can everybody say Lamed? Okay, I heard my daughter back there, I think. Okay, so not Lama, but Lamed, okay? And, and, and Lamed is like the Hebrew L. It makes the L sound, okay? Um, this letter is used as a prefix, okay? It comes before whatever word it's going to describe, okay? It's affixed to the front of the word, just like our prefixes in English. And the Lamed can mean a couple of different things, depending on the context, and depending on what vowel goes under it. But it can be used to mean to, T-O. It can be used to mean for. As we have here, they've translated it as for, okay? And by the way, let's read this psalm titled this introduction. To the chief musician upon Gittith, okay? A psalm for the sons of Korah. Now, it doesn't say who the author is of this psalm. But it says a psalm for the sons of Korah. The English word for is this little Hebrew letter, l. It's the lamed, okay? It makes the sound l. Here it's li, okay? But it's the L sound. To, for, towards, from, or, of. 1,119 times this lamed is translated of. Okay? Now, what's interesting is, over and over and over, and I have this Hebrew here in front of, in, in front of us. Oh, and by the way, the side note, um, the, the gittith, or the gitit, as it is in Hebrew, um, it, it's kind of like a Philistine guitar, as well as I can tell, okay? Um, git meaning from gath, okay? In Hebrew, that's got, gath is got. And so this is like an instrument from gath, as best we can tell. And because of the way that the word sounds, you know, gittith, gitit, it's kind of like, yeah, the etymological ancestor of the word guitar, possibly. It was supposed to be a stringed instrument that was beaten, like, like you would strike it, you know? So somebody's, I don't know. But anyway, um, here it says, Livne Korach. Okay, Livne Korach. For, as it is here, the sons of Korah. But that li, that, that l, that little l, you know, sound, it doesn't have to mean for, and I don't think it does. Okay? Uh, somebody wrote this, you know, for the sons of Korah to have. Well, I don't know. Because over and over and over again, all of these psalms, okay? Uh, let me find one here real quick. Let me find a psalm of, 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 of David. Okay. Psalm 34, for instance, all of, those, all of those psalms that say a psalm of David in verse 1, like Psalm 34, says a psalm of David, okay, a psalm of David. Okay, now Bob back there, do you have psalm titles in your Bible? You don't, okay. Somebody that has psalm titles in their Bible, look at Psalm 34, okay. The psalm title there, do you have any words in italics? Any italicized words in Psalm 34 title? Okay, a psalm. Did you know that the words a psalm are not there in the Hebrew? 
All of, these, all of these psalms that say a psalm of David, whether it says a psalm of David and then has a description like Psalm 34 does, or many of the psalms will just simply say a psalm of David. Do you know what that is in Hebrew? The word psalm is not there. It's just simply le David. That's it. The whole entire introduction we have in the English, a psalm of David. All it is in the Hebrew is le David, of David, of David. Over and over and over again, these psalm titles have of David, of David, of David, le David, le David. Here we have le Korah, and it's translated in the English here as four. I believe personally, and I'll find out when we get to heaven, but I believe, okay, yours is of. I believe that this psalm was written by a descendant of Korah, okay? One of the sons of Korah that died not. Now, let's, uh, let's get to the punchline, okay? Let's read, let's read Psalm 84. It says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Imagine, uh, imagine one that is of this family that's been told for generations that story that happened. Okay? And they survived the judgment of God to become servants of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Do you see a difference here between this phrasing and what was said by Korah himself? Okay, and those others that were setting themselves against Moses. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are all they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Okay, those that did not follow the Lord, those that tried to usurp Moses and Aaron's authority, they're not still praising the Lord. But those that dwell in thy house, they will. Verse 5, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and in whose heart are all the ways of him, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Now listen to this. This is where I lose it. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. If you can piece together the history behind what is written here that would seemingly just fly over our heads, that the sons of Korah, they had the mercy of the Lord because they, they didn't you know, follow what was being going on there in the revolt against Moses and against Aaron, and they became servants of the Lord. And here, this psalm that we might just read, oh, yeah, day in thy course is, you know... Um, Better is one day in my courts, that song, than a thousand elsewhere. But the fact that it says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, that's exactly what they were in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
that's what the exact wording of what God told Moses and what Moses told everybody else, you know, get away from the tents of these wicked men. And then in verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, and this is how it kind of all caps off here, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. The thing that this kind of made me think about was that we don't know, we don't realize what decision points we may be at in our life that the Lord will not only do amazing things through us, but through our kids. You know, I mean, look at what, what they came from. And the scripture is full of stories of those that came from backgrounds that were less than favorable to do amazing things for the Lord. And, um, you know, sometimes we get the feeling that, or we can be tempted with the feeling that, well, the grass is greener on the other side. You know, that's what Korah and all of his company, they felt that the grass was greener where Moses and Aaron were. And that they wanted their position. They wanted to be in leadership. They wanted to be in authority. But the sons of Korah throughout time here, they actually realized what was better. And that it's better on whatever side the Lord is on, you know. Um, anyway, so when I saw that illustration that Jesus gave about the porter opening the door, I couldn't help <laughs> but think of, think of this. And uh hope it was a blessing. Is there any um, questions or comments or discussion? Why don't we do one or two? We got a little bit here. Well, first, uh, just on your comment about Jews being blamed for communists and Jews being, I have concluded that Jews are exceptionally talented. If you look at the, it's not every single Jew, but as a, if you take the gene pool, so to speak, mm -hmm. they tend to be brighter than the other gene pools. Well, yeah. And what happens, in my opinion, is you have people like Trotsky and Marx who've turned to evil, but they're very bright, and they're very efficient and very effective, and then you have other Jews who, you know, follow the Lord, and they they on the other side of the thing, so you have, the thing is, if you got Jews on, in my opinion here now, if you got Jews on your side, you're usually going to do okay for a while, if you, as long as you, you know, if you're relying on, uh, look at Israel. Yeah. Well, I look at it this way, I am by no means smart, but I'm very blessed, so... <laughs> You know, I'm blessed as a believer. Um, I think that um, one wrote that uh, relatively speaking, by like ratios of population, that so many, I think Mark quoted this before, that out of the population of, of, of Jewish people, so many things have been done and accomplished. Um, and, um, you know, compared to the rest of the world population, it's just the Lord's hand of blessing upon them. Not to say that he, you know, can't, withdraw that or you know like here these people were all Jewish the ones that revolted against Moses as well but um, but yeah to tie back to that earlier statement yeah they're historically blamed for uh, you know everything that they can be but we can talk a little bit more after as well any other any other questions or comments okay I think so. okay go ahead Uh-huh. But if, if you talk to people who are not saved and 
Sure. Uh-huh. All of those Incans. Well, the scripture is very clear, you know. Um, the wages of death is, or, uh, the wages of sin is death. Um, there's, there's things that, and, and I think Mark has talked about this a little bit before, um, that are in some ways hard for us to swallow. Nonetheless, we know what the answer is scripturally. Um, according to scripture, if somebody is, is seeking light, you know, and seeking the Lord for what they know, I mean, general revelation only condemns them. Uh, they know that they're guilty. They know that they need, are in need of a savior. Um, and that, and that can never save. Um, but there's also degrees of judgment based upon what's been revealed truth to you. Um, but I know that God cannot dwell in the presence of sin and that if they're not atoned for, um, they will not be able to be in heaven. Um, but God works in mysterious ways. And, and what my answer would be like, for instance, I've known people that, uh, very nice, well-meaning people that believe the scripture in every other aspect. And yet they seem to think, well, what about, you know, the far off tribe in, you know, Papua New Guinea somewhere that's never heard. Um, God is righteous. God is just, um, I'm not saying that everybody would have, you know, had an opportunity to accept the Lord, but that's also where we come in, you know? That's why the command is to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. Um, and before that, I mean, that was part of, if you read the Psalms, you know, um, where it talks about praising the Lord among all nations, you know, um, it's not a very widely um, taught or prevalent um, thought throughout the Old Testament, but it nevertheless is there. Um, I would say that the people who died without Christ before he came, they suffer the same fate as those that have died after he came and maybe even were able to hear and yet reject. Um, they wouldn't have the same degree of accountability necessarily, but I can't answer that specifically on what that would be. Anything about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're accountable to the degree of degree of light that we've been given, um, and yet if sin is not atoned for. Um, there's not another name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. So, well, the people who belong to God before Christ are saved, surely. Yeah, the people that were trusting in His revealed truth and His revealed plan of salvation, yeah, whatever it might be, all the way back to Adam and Eve believing that God would one day bring a, you know, one that would crush the the serpent's head, uh, all the way down to, um, you know. Mary and Joseph waiting for the Messiah, you know, and then he's born, you know, so all different varying degrees of obedience to what had been given up to that point. Absolutely. Okay, well, Lois has some cookies that she made, 
And I think she has some little helpers there that can pass them out after we, after we end. So I'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And uh, we'll be done. Thank you, Lord, for this night. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you how uh, things kind of tie together uh, in such an amazing way. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that uh, we have found him, Lord, and that there's no other way that we need to find to try and get to heaven. And Lord, I pray for those that um, may have been listening or may listen to this uh, study later uh, that haven't trusted him as their savior. I pray that they would do that, Lord. We pray that you would bless the rest of our night. We pray that you would bless the uh, refreshments and the fellowship and uh, just help us to have a, a good weekend. Help us to concentrate on your goodness and uh, the amazing uh, blessing that we have of knowing Jesus as our Savior and being forgiven. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson. Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.